Matthew last week was saying that what we're involved in right now is a religious war, and I completely agree. One of the things that you may have noticed is churches are closed, but riots are okay. Nobody's talking about social distance with riots, but churches we got to be real careful about. What I want to talk to you about is joy and faith. Those two things are inextricably linked. One of the things that you'll notice as you read the Torah portion is the general grumpiness of Israel. They had the Song of the Sea, which was fairly joyful, but everything from there on is grumpiness and complaining. We don't have any water. We don't have any meat. You know, on and on and on. And what I will say to you is that their attitude primed the spies to bring back a bad report. And by the way, the spies is what, year and a half after the Exodus. So they've been living in the presence of God. They've got open miracles. They know for a certainty that God is in the camp. Got the pillar of fire at night and the cloud by day. And yet, their attitude is sort of grumpy. And so when the spies go up into the land and they see giants, they come back and say, we can't do this. Now, what I will suggest to you is going on is exactly analogous to what we're going through today. And the difference between them and us is they had open miracles, they had the very presence of God in the camp, and today we have what the Hebrews call hestropani, which is the hidden face. In other words, God is still there, he's still working, but he doesn't have this pillar of fire in the middle of the room. So it's very easy to sort of lose track of the fact that God is around. And our problem is every bit as difficult as their problem was. Their problem is they are living through the writing of the book. In other words, they can't read ahead. They don't have the prophets. They don't have the New Testament. They don't have all of the rest of the Bible that is being written because they're in the early stage of writing the Bible. But they've got the presence of God in the camp. We, on the other hand, live in a time where God is not so overtly obvious. But we've got the book. So we have got the entire history of God's working with Israel in the world and so we can read the book and see how things come out and what's going on. They didn't have that advantage, but they had the presence of God. Everybody see the difference here? Our problem is not any more difficult than their problem was. Our problem is just slightly different. So God has given us advantages that they didn't have. God has given them advantages that we don't have. But the problems are still the same. And the problem is fear and giants. So they go into the land and they're grumpy and they see all these giants and they say we can't do that. We today have got this giant government. We can't go against this giant because what's going to happen to us if we go against this giant? We're like grasshoppers compared to this massive government. We're like grasshoppers compared to the giants in the land. In other words, what's happening is we look upon ourselves as relatively small and powerless just like they did. And that's why you've got churches all over the land that are shut down 
and pastors are worried about whatever they're worried about, certainly there are some legitimate concern about sick. Don't have a problem with that. For example, we have an older congregation mostly, and some people have decided to stay away. Perfectly legitimate. That's okay. But what's happened is the people in the churches have become isolated. So instead of gathering together and encouraging each other and lifting each other up and rejoicing in the presence of God, people are hunkered down in their house and they don't have anybody around them to help them and encourage them. And what that does is it makes the giants look bigger. Here I am hunkered down in my living room and this giant government out there is preventing us from doing anything and if we do we'll get arrested and fined and all that kind of stuff. And so it's the same problem that the spies had. It's exactly the same problem. Something bigger than we are is oppressing us and we're not able to come together, worship God and exercise our faith. Now. I started this off by saying the problem with Israel is a lack of joy. And that lack of joy leads inexorably to a loss of faith. Joy and faith are intertwined. And if you don't believe me, I've got some scripture for you. So James, chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So what he's saying there is you are going to go through trials. This is a difficult place to live in. That's by design by the way, that's not a flaw. This is difficult. And what you want to do is when you go through these trials count it joy because that says that your faith is being tested and if you pass the test of faith what that does is ensures your salvation. Because remember, the spies failed the test of faith. And what happened to the spies, by the way? They all died on the spot. Remember, the rest of the people of Israel who got panicked died over the next 40 years. But the spies lost it on the spot. First Peter, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua Messiah. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Yeshua Messiah from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in the heaven for you. By the way, your inheritance is in phase two of your life, not in phase one, which is what you're in right now. So what he's saying is you have an inheritance that is kept for you for the next phase of your life. So imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, as was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Notice the similarity with James there? Joy and the trials that you're going through. As was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice 
with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Notice the connection between joy and faith. You're going through trials. Things are difficult. It's hard. God understands that. He set it up that way. This is not an accident. So he set that up, and what you are supposed to do is recognize the program that you are in according to God. You are supposed to take joy in the fact that he is putting you through all this, and the joy that you feel will lead to faith. And if you lose the joy, what happens is you lose the faith. By the way, what's faith? The substance of things hoped for, all that kind of stuff. Faith is really very simple. Faith is believing something to the extent that you will take action based on its truth. That's all it is. I believe the book. I believe the Bible. I therefore take action based on what it says. And so if I take action based on what it says, I am exercising faith. So faith is action that follows some sort of belief. And the example I used, and used lots of times, and some of you heard it, when I was a young man in the Army, I was a paratrooper, which meant that I had to put my trust in this parachute. And I could get up in the morning at 5 o'clock, like everybody else did, and we could go down to the rigging shed and draw our parachute and have breakfast and all that kind of stuff. And I got this parachute on my back, and it's a really good parachute. And we go out to the airstrip and we get on the airplane, the C-130, and we take off. This is really a great parachute. I like this parachute a lot. And the jump master's got me all checked out and I got my static line hooked up. When I have faith is when I step out the door of that airplane and there's nothing below me but a thousand feet to North Carolina. That's when I've got faith, is when I take action based on my belief that that parachute is going to work. That's all it is. It's really very simple. And so what happens is when you lose joy your faith goes it starts in Deuteronomy for heaven's sake it says uh, if you guys don't rejoice in your relationship to me what's going to happen is you are going to descend into idolatry and murder and everything else and I'm going to send you into exile Deuteronomy 28. It starts with joy. And if you lose the joy, the faith follows. So how do you get joy? Well, I look back at my notes and I've actually given a variation of this sermon every year for about the last five years. I kind of like it. Joy is not an emotion. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is something else. So what the scriptures say is you are going to go through a whole bunch of rough times and you are going to periodically be really unhappy and miserable that's normal nothing wrong with that no sin in being unhappy and miserable that's different from losing your joy and joy comes from perspective which is to say I am a child of the living God I am in his hand. The trials that I am going through are part of his process of developing my character and making me into what he wants me to be. And I am really miserable right now. But I understand that there's a purpose. 
I understand that God loves me. I understand that at the end of this, I will be shining in his presence. Okay? Again, I used to be in the army. One of the things that the army does is put you through really miserable circumstances. I am so tired of being cold and wet that I don't do it anymore. Cold and wet and tired and hungry. I mean, it's sort of all a package. Not happy at all. But I understand that there's a purpose for that. And at the end of the day, what they're doing is preparing me to do something else. Miserable, unhappy, cursing, just terribly unhappy. Oh, that's okay. As long as you don't lose your perspective of what you're doing and what you're being put through and why. That's where your joy comes. And as I say, the spies lost track of that. That's why I say the whole story from the time they leave the Red Sea until the time they send out the spies is sort of a lot of grumbling. And they've lost track of the purpose. And because of that, they then lose their faith. They don't have faith that God is able or willing. I don't know which. I'm certainly they, after they saw what he did to Egypt, I don't think they doubt his ability. They just don't think he's going to do it. And we're like grasshoppers. There's these giants up there. We can't do anything with that. Let me, let me tell you a little story. Again, back in the army. And I don't remember where we were, but we're riding a deuce and a half through somewhere. And somebody in the back of the truck looked out at a village and said, those poor so-and-sos, they don't have anything to live for. And one of the sergeants says, you think so? Well, why don't you take your knife and jump down there and try and kill one of them? Everybody has something to live for. These leaders among the Israelites. Remember, all of these guys are picked prominent men. They have a position. I don't know what kind of possessions they had in the wilderness, but certainly they had enough possessions that they were able to cobble together a tabernacle with lots of gold and, and so forth. But the other thing they had is they had status. They had something to lose. And so one of the things that has caused them to be afraid is they're looking at the giants that they've got to face and they're saying, there's a real good chance we're going to lose everything we've got if we go up there. Look at the churches today. There's a really good chance we're going to lose everything we got if we defy the government and we open up. We got stuff we could lose here. We could lose our building. We could lose our tax-exempt status. We could lose all sorts of stuff. So again, the prospect of loss, which I would call becoming attached to the things of this world. And again, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with possessions. God gives them to us. In fact, he uses them to motivate us. He says, you follow me and I'm going to go ahead and bless your socks off with grain and flocks and herds and all sorts of wealth. I'm putting you in a land where you can dig copper out of the hills. So stuff is not bad. Being captured by stuff is bad. And what these spies are saying is, 
we could lose everything if we go up against these giants. And what the churches in the United States are saying is we could lose everything if we go up against this giant. You see the similarity here? It's kind of important. So one of the things that God does is he commands us to be joyful. And that goes back to what I said, that joy is not an emotion. Emotions can't be commanded. I can't say, you be happy. But I can say, you be joyful. Which is to bring you back to a reminder of your position in the kingdom of God and what your purpose is here on earth and why we are doing all this. You can take joy in that even when you're unhappy. The other thing is you can't let your circumstances define your joy. Because periodically your circumstances are going to be really terrible. So if you let that define your joy, you wind up repeating the sin of the spies. Now, Satan obviously tries to steal your joy. And what he does to steal your joy is he tries to get you enmeshed in your circumstances tries to get you focus on you and your circumstances and poor miserable me and if God loved me he wouldn't put me through this and on and on and on and what he tries to do is get you focused on circumstances to steal your joy now one of the things that I am very encouraged by right now is the extent of the power grab and the riots that we're going through in the United States I find that very encouraging why do I say that? Virtue wants to be left alone. If you're going through your life and you're just doing good stuff, you just want people to leave you alone. Let me do my own thing. And by the way, that's what our government was originally set up with. You know, as long as you're well behaved, we'll just leave you alone. That's the ideal situation. Evil, on the other hand, has got to exercise control to protect itself. And the more evil it is, the more control it has to exert. Because if it is not controlling you, you have the opportunity to, wait a minute, this isn't right, why are we doing this? So what evil has to do is protect itself by exercising control. Look at what's going on right now in this country. Everything is clamped down. Governors are saying, don't you dare go outside. All of this stuff is an exercise of draconian control over people. That tells you two things. Thing one is it's evil. That should be obvious. Thing two is it's weak. Because if it were strong, it wouldn't have to clamp this stuff down to protect itself. So what's happened is, as people like you look at this situation, you say, wait a minute, that's evil. Which means that you have popped your head up and you have recognized what's going on for what it is, and in order to keep that from happening with more and more people, what they have to do is be very oppressive and controlling to keep you from seeing that. Now, most of you are old enough to remember this, but you remember when the Soviet Union collapsed? 
you know what brought the Soviet Union down? A mimeograph machine. You all remember mimeographs? Mimeograph is a little thing where you type something up and you then turn a crank and it makes copies. And what was happening was subversive writings were circulating throughout the country. And they were done in secret. Mimeographs, literally. Mimeograph is this big, it's very small. Uh, yeah, it smells like alcohol, yeah. Uh, yeah, when we used to run the mimeograph when I was a kid in school, we loved the smell of the alcohol. But anyway, that's what brought the Soviet Union down. The people started to wake up and started to realize that all of the promises of communism and so forth were false and that this system was evil. And as that word spread out at the speed of a mimeograph, the Soviet Union finally collapsed because it couldn't sustain the lies anymore. What we've got is a far more powerful communication system and everybody grumbles about Facebook and YouTube and Twitter censoring conservatives. That doesn't matter because there are ways around it. It's like trying to stop a flood with a sieve. There are just all sorts of ways around it. And the fact that everybody here knows that Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and all that kind of stuff are doing censoring is testimony to the fact that it isn't working. If the censorship was working, you wouldn't know that it was happening. But everybody does know. Remember, the Soviet Union comes down at the speed of a mimeograph. We have a far more powerful communication system and a far more powerful message and a far more powerful way of getting that message out. And the key here is joy. What you need to communicate to the folks out there who are hunkered down in their homes, terrified of the giant, is you need to communicate joy and hope to these people. Communicate to them that this stuff isn't working because if it was working, they wouldn't have to clamp down so hard. Remember when all this started a couple, three months ago and I stood up here and I said, we're gonna to get to the sin of the spies pretty soon. And when we get to the sin of the spies, I want you to remember what was happening at the beginning of this plague. And what you see in the United States is the same thing that happened to the children of Israel by the spies. You had people and authority who came in and said, we can't do this, this is terrible, we're terrified. There's no way we can beat this. And everybody panicked. That's what's happening in the, the reading in Numbers. Everybody's panicked by someone in authority telling them that things are dire and hopeless. What happened to the United States when the Centers for Disease Control got up and said, Oh my God, if you don't do this, you're all going to die. Remember that? It's exactly the same. And that's why we read the scriptures. Because there's nothing that's happening today that hasn't happened before. You just got to translate it. Instead of several picked men who go into the land and get panicked and come back and panic everybody, you got to take this, those ten picked men and change that to be the centers for the disease control. You got to take giants and you got to change giants to, wow, we have this massive bureaucracy. But once you make that equivalence, 
all of a sudden, oh, we're dealing with the sin of the spies here. Really straightforward. And the problem with the spies is they lost their joy, and because they lost their joy, they lost their faith. And what we have to do is say, no, we're not going to lose our joy. We're going to recognize that we are children of the living God, that we are part of his plan, and his plan is going to play out pretty much the way he wants it to. And once you recognize that, you can have joy even though you're going through physical misery. So, as you go out, rejoice. Don't be afraid of the giants. Remember, they took out Sihon and Og and, and the Anakim. They took them all out. When they finally got up under Joshua and said, all right, we're going to go do this, giants turned out not to be a problem. But you've got to strap on your sword. You've got to go after them. If you just come back and say, we can't do this, well, you can't, and you won't be able to. So take on the giants. Spread the joy. That's our job. Spread the joy. And let other people know that they don't have to fear the giants either. Let our